Hello, I'm Andre Longley, and my guest on the Ham and Hyde podcast this week is Sean Berry. Sean is co-leader of the Green Party, a London Assembly member, a Highgate councillor, and next year she will once again be standing to become the next Mayor of London. We spoke on November 19th, 2020, before any detail of England's emergence from lockdown Mark II were announced. Barry, thank you very much for joining us on the Ham and High podcast. How are you doing today? I am fine. It's been a busy day. We had Mayor's Question Time, um, as we do once a month. And uh, yeah, it's been, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to ask the Mayor about. There's a lot of follow-up to do. Um, and um, yeah, council meeting after this to prepare for. So these are my days, basically, sitting on Zoom, going from thing to thing to thing to thing. But it's, yeah, it's all good. That's most of our lives at the moment, but for an elected official, I'm sure it's it's fairly endless. I think let's. Um, I, I was listening to another podcast you were on the other day, or on late, late last year, with Matt Ford, the political party, and I think in that you said you you described yourself as a bit of a health and safety freak, and I was wondering how how you felt about the virus and the lockdown and measures and you know just normal life. Yeah, that's a really good good listen, actually. Yeah, I I do. You know, I'm I'm a risk manager, basically. I think a lot of um, the work you do as an elected representative is listening to people who are issuing those warnings um, that maybe no one's listening to, but could be something huge. And and we saw that problem play it, play itself out at Grenfell on a really large scale. But on a on a smaller scale, we're all trying to do that now. We're all trying to weigh up you know, the risks of, of getting on that bus and, and what things you need to take with you. And, and, and the whole Christmas dilemma is awful because you really want to see people, but you don't want to spread the virus. And, and so, yeah, that sort of health and safety, um, you know, protection, risk versus, um, you know, protecting everybody is, is just so in, in my mind. And it's very much um, the kind of thing I'm used to considering. Um, I used to work in medical writing where a lot of that is about um, you know, risk and um, transmission of diseases and um, but also um, sort of psychology of, of giving messages to people for safety as well. That's, that's, a, that's been an awful during this crisis actually. The messaging from the government hasn't been clear. It's been confusing. It's, it's really not worked and I think that's, that's a big failing. We're, I mean, we're at a, a really important point for the messaging as well, aren't we? Because he's, in a way, um, Boris Johnson's got a little dilemma because he wants to be, you know, celebrating the fact that the vaccines are coming. They seem to be working. It's all good news. But he doesn't want parties in the streets and um, and big gatherings and celebrations, of, you know, big groups over Christmas. There's also the issue of um, people as a kind of a vocal anti-vax movement. Is that something you're concerned about? Very much, because we already have an anti-vaccination movement that is showing through in cases of measles, of um, people not taking up the flu vaccine when they should. And so a, a brand new novel vaccine is going to be absolutely rife with with rumours and, and conspiracies. And, and I yeah, it really worries me that, that the social media people in particular haven't got a proper handle on this yet. And so rumours are allowed to spread. Um, confidence is allowed to be eroded in things that are well, before they're unleashed, they're going to be very carefully checked. So I think people need to need to really think about where before they spread stories. I think people don't do that enough. How have you? How did you find it early on? I've, 
I just you described yourself as a health and safety freak in the early stages how were you feeling about I know I'm taking that quite literally but when it was a, a flippant remark but how were you feeling about going out and about did you get the um, nervousness or anxiety in supermarkets and places like that um I mean no no I'm not I'm not I'm not yeah, health and safety means taking precautions so yes I make sure I take precautions and then I'm I've got a fairly good handle on how safe I'm going to be um what I don't like is is confusion you know if you if you you know work in a lab and um you know they turn they make the off button green or something that's a that's a risk so you've got to avoid those risks that's the that's the sort of thing I'm I'm talking about so no I'm not I'm not paranoid when I go around the streets but I take all the right precautions and I you know wear my mask I try and stay two meters away from people I, I'm not, you know, not doing meetings inside anymore. If I need to go and see something, I make sure it's outside and we all keep our distance. And, and that's what everybody needs to do, you know, to take a rational view of this and, and take the, the precautions you're asked to. And have you um, found you've got through it well? How, how have you managed to switch off and keep, keep human behind, uh, during all this time indoors? I did a fair amount of my work at home anyway, because I've got these these different jobs that, that take place at different times of the day. So um, I was always going from City Hall to um, the council and doing quite a lot of meetings on Zoom from home anyway, because the Green Party, the National Green Party organisation is lots of people who are dotted all around the country in our different regions and Wales. So I was very used to having Zoom meetings. But now it is that's all the meetings are on Zoom. The fact that every single thing I do in every single context is basically me sitting in my flat, whether that's like going on the television and doing a serious interview or chatting with my family or doing a, you know, a fun quiz with the, with the local Greens. I'm exactly in the same situation. So that is a little difficult because normally the process of, for example, getting dressed up and going onto the television um, or, or you know, traveling to visit a local place. I go and visit mm. local parties all around the country as part of my job. Um, and one day I'll be in like Shrewsbury and then I'll be in, um, you know, Nuneaton and, and then in York. Again, I don't actually get to go to these places. So there's no context for the meeting. So it's, it's, it's hard, you forget where people are from you know you've met them and you can't remember whether they were from Nuneaton or Shrewsbury or York because there's no extra context to go with it so I'm finding that very strange actually um because all of all of my different jobs are no longer physically different to each other if that makes sense yeah and no, absolutely and everybody you meet is actually on the same slab of whatever it is plastic and uh, in front of you yeah and you you don't get as many um things about them to remember like you know, the way people walk or stand or how tall or short they are, everyone's just a face now. And there's no, you can't see half their outfit. So there's that whole remembering people's names is just, you know, which is very important to a politician. Um, is again, very hard. All those sort of little, the, the tricks you use to remember people by. That's true. Yeah, we're, we're all avatars now on the screen, aren't we? Obviously, the pandemic has changed a lot of things. One of um, in London, one of the the big things that has come in as a kind of byproduct is a lot of very quickly introduced traffic measures. Um, the low traffic neighbourhoods, as they're known in some areas, I mean, presumably broadly, you're supportive of this. Yes, and and we looked at this um, in the council. We had a healthy streets 
working group across across two of the different committees, the environment and the um, health um, committee. We did a, um, a proper investigation into this um, issue of healthier streets. And one of the things that, that came out really strongly from a lot of the campaign groups and people um, who, we, who we talked to, different different types of people from across London, across London, across Camden, um, were, were were saying they wanted this. You know, their 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 local residential streets had been really suffering from more rat running than ever before. Um, and we know that this is caused by people's um, sat-navs, um, apps on phones. There's a particular app called Waze. I'm not sure, quite sure how that's spelled, I think. But it's, it's, a, it's a shortcut app. It finds you rat runs. And those have led to a massive increase in traffic on side streets compared with main roads. And you can, you can sort of, everyone going about their business can sort of feel that that's true. Um, and so something needs to be done. And, and one of the things you can do is literally like has been done in in places going back right to like the 60s basically some places have been um sort of severed so that you can't drive through people can still access all the places in an area but there's no through routes anymore so people who are driving long distances either side of the um the area go around the main roads instead um that makes absolute sense and so there's there's a a real call that was going out from people like Living Streets, from the, the cycling campaigns, from quite a lot of the accessible transport campaigners for this kind of measure. Um, so, so yes, we absolutely need it. I'd much rather have done it in a very planned way, though. That's the thing. The, the way it's been brought in so quickly has led to some teething troubles and potentially more traffic being pushed onto streets that are nearby. Um, and that needs to be dealt with on a, on a case-by-case basis because our road system is quite complicated and, and fixed and got right but if you've made a plan of Camden which is one of the proposals we we heard in the in the committee um if you made a plan of Camden where you went look here are the here are the cells here are the main roads here are the low traffic neighborhoods this is how we can do it and then if you brought that in all at once there'd be a few days where everyone was very confused, but the, you could, like, like Boris Johnson has not with the pandemic, get the communication right, prepare everybody for it, um, you know, make sure you didn't do any of the um, penalty notices for a while while you got people used to where, where the things were. Um, yeah, I'd much rather have done it in a planned way, but the, the crisis meant we had to stop people, everyone getting in their cars, and so it was absolutely necessary to do something. And I'm just, it is, it is showing through opinion polls how popular this is. So the people who've got them are pretty pleased with them by and large. Um, and the people who haven't got them want them by and large. So the fact that this is now showing through in opinion polls, which are overwhelmingly positive towards them, I think is, is good. And it shows that we'll, we keep pressing on. We'll, we'll get to a, a good road system in the end. For the, for the people who don't like them, and there's a small minority who, or you know, I, I don't know numbers actually, that may not be fair, but there is a group who vocally don't like them in different areas, and it does vary around London. Is there an extent to which, although you'd rather that this was better planned, that actually this might be just one of the times when to do the radical things we've got to do, um, given the situation with climate change, some of it's going to hurt? and some of this is hurting for some people. You know, I mean, I don't know about hurt because I think, you know, in the end, the, the benefits are for everybody. Um, all of us walk and cycle, whether, you know, once we've parked our car, we go walk, you know. So um, there is there is benefits for absolutely everybody and we all get to breathe the cleaner air and have the quieter streets. Um, but I think it is uncomfortable to me, particularly, 
bringing things in without consultation, without good communication, doing it in, in an emergency. So like with a lot of things, and we've been arguing with the mayor about um, smarter road charging today, for example, which is a power that we have in London that we might lose because the government are rumoured to be taking this up now. Very frustrating to me that this wasn't done years ago. Wouldn't have started where we were at when the crisis hit. If we'd have been doing this since, you know, if I'd have been mayor, sorry, I'm going to campaign for mayor now. If I'd have been mayor in 2016, quite a lot of this would have already been in place and that would have made us more resilient to the crisis. And it would have also got the evidence together to make these things more popular, um, to reassure people a bit more than what we were able to do this time. So although they're doing the right thing now, they're doing it from a starting point that was way behind where it should have been. And you've, I think I'm right in saying you've argued for a certain degree of smart fair pricing that is variable across the city is that right is the do we have the capability yeah. for that the, the, the technology is there now to, to create something that is is actually quite sophisticated where you can vary the the, the per so it's a per mile road charging scheme much much fairer than the current congestion charge where you pay once and it's now 15 pounds no matter how far you drive um, which doesn't isn't fair really so you can create a system that, that varies the charge per mile on different roads by like where they are so central london would be more um by the time of day so you can do things to try and smooth out rush hour um by the emissions of the vehicles um and other things like you know how big the vehicles are how dangerous they are there's lots of things you can vary the price by and send really clear and fair signals to people if you want them to change their behavior, whether that's change their vehicle or change how far they drive and, and do things like encourage people to share lifts. The technology is there so that the car can have a price and you can share it between all the different people in the car by, by clicking on an app. Like, like I think you can do in Weatherspoons now for the <laughs> like that, that sort of thing can be done. And that really will incentivize people to, to share lifts and, 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 you know, reduce if they need to go and do two things in a day, do them in one round trip rather than two two out and back again. That's the sort of thing that could save a lot of traffic miles, but people aren't incentivized to do right now. So if I'm if I'm hearing you right, we should be taking a lead on national issues from Weatherspoons. Is that correct? So <laughs> it's just that's the only app I've seen where it's easy to split bills. That's that's the only <laughs> place I've seen it done. <laughs> okay, I was going to say I wouldn't go with that across the board. But there's, um, there's, there, there is the technology there and it's very, very important. This is privacy friendly as well. That's the other thing I've been, I've written an article today in The Independent. Um, so last Thursday, if that's, if we're broadcasting it in a week, <laughs> that, that sets out these four warnings to the Chancellor if they're thinking about doing road charging on a national level. And one of those is devolve it to the local areas because it's, you can totally see how a national scheme might not work at all for London. We do need to be able to pull all those, those levers ourselves and get it right. Um, and the other one is make make sure it's privacy friendly because people will be up in arms about it if not. I, I mentioned maybe this is one of the um, things that will hurt earlier. You said, well, I, people might feel uncomfortable about it. But again, that's what we're talking about here, isn't it? Even if it's lower price for um, roads charging outside the centre, it's still essentially an extra tax that's an incentive to people to stop them or not an incentive because you're not giving them money. It's a it's a, a stick to stop them um, yes, exactly. in their cars. Yeah, yeah. So you need a carrot is what you're going to say, isn't it? So. Well, I was going to say, you know, there will be plenty of people, plenty of our readers who wouldn't be happy with that. Who will well, think, these are, my, these are our roads, this is my car, why should I have to pay for it? 
Well, at the moment, um, Transport for London, which is in crisis, gets almost all its money from fare payers. Now, the, the, the current mayor is very exercised about the fact that the government's withdrawn its grant from us. But this power to raise money from drivers is with us. I mean, we do it already in the congestion charge. The new ultra emission zone will charge people for driving, but it will charge them on a flat rate per day. And actually, this smarter scheme is fairer and I think it is fair enough to ask for drivers to pay a fare to use the transport system in London which is currently being paid for only by the people who get on the tubes and the buses and the trains which doesn't make any sense because they're doing the right thing so it's about balancing things up and the carrots you could do with the money that you raise I mean at the moment we'll be filling a hole because there's a there's a massive hole this year in lost fares but once that hole is filled we can use that to invest in better buses, more things to um, help people walk and cycle, improvements to train services. Um, there's a lot of people who are disabled, who depend on their cars. Now, obviously, under my scheme, you'd get a discount. You wouldn't pay if you were disabled. But also, with the money we would raise from other drivers, would help to improve accessibility. It would give us the money to borrow against, to invest in things like that. So that's, yeah, it's an integrated transport plan. It's what you'd, what you'd expect from a green candidate, basically. It's, it's kind of the least you'd expect, isn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, the, on the national level, obviously, you got re-elected as um, co-leader of the party a few months back now, isn't it? And congratulations. We've also had changes in the last um, six months or so in the Labour Party. Obviously, Boris Johnson is still the prime minister, but um, he's not having the easiest of years, understandably, to a certain extent. Um What's your thoughts on the national scheme? I suppose specifically, Sir Keir Starmer is MP whose constituency would cross over your um, ward, wouldn't it? Uh, yes, yes, I live yeah. in his constituency. He's your MP and you're both party leaders. What's How well do you know him? Do you work with him much? N no, I mean, obviously, I, I sometimes bump into him at the shops because we <laughs> live very close together. Um, and obviously, I see him at, um, I used to, when we had physical events, I'd see him at a lot of public events. Um, in, in around Camden and, and say hello. But I'll be honest, um, since he took over the Labour Party, I have not been able to meet him. I've not, I've, I've, me and Jonathan wrote a letter to all all three of the candidates for, for leader. We, we thought we'd write just before the results came out and say, and said, you know, we want to meet you. We want to talk about A, how we work together through the crisis, um, you know, what sorts of ways we can jointly put proposals to the to the government. There's, there are ways in which having the Green Party and the Labour Party both saying something gives it more weight than if just one of us does. Um, these are these are things that we've wanted to do. And also to talk about the thing that the Labour Party have been very slow on, which is changing the voting system, because that would benefit absolutely everybody. Look at the results we just got um, in you know New Zealand. Um, previously, the, the Labour Party there needed the Greens to be in their government in order to form a government. Now they've won a, a majority. They had such a positive experience working with the Greens that they've brought them back into government again. And all that stems from having uh, a proportional system. So they've had a proportional system for a couple of decades now in, in New Zealand. And that means parties are used to having to work together. They're used to um, making arrangements um, after elections for ways to compromise on what you put forwards, ways to to, to think in a grown-up way, I'm trying to avoid saying grown-up, but then I've got to say it um, about how to how to do politics. And so we proposed a meeting with with Keir Starmer, you know, months ago now, and we've not heard 
we've not had a response and we've been chasing it up. So I'm I'm quite I'm quite aggrieved by that because I think you know new ways of doing politics are much needed. You'd think a new broom would would at least want to talk to other party leaders and, and it has not happened. You do sound quite hurt by that. Well, yeah, because it is <laughs> well, yeah. we He's, he's my neighbour, apart from anything else. Well, yeah, just, apart, from the, apart from more or less wave to him out the window. Follow um, him in Pesco. Well, no, yeah, that, yeah. that is a shame to hear. Um, and it also feels like on a international level, we're, we're heading towards a slight um, turning point as well. Assuming nothing outrageous happens before January, there'll be a, a different president of the US, which makes the world level very different. Um, and also, presumably, once the UK starts returning to some semblance of normality, or at least, you know, getting over the, the hump of the crisis, then these issues are going to come back to the fore, aren't they? Yeah, and, uh, and, and exactly, we were, um, Caroline Lucas and Labour MPs and um, obviously Lib Dems and the SNP and Flyde, they were all working quite well together during that period um, ahead of um, the, the, the Brexit um, Last basically last year, ahead of the general election and then the um, the final Brexit legislation passing, they were all working very well together when the government didn't have a strong majority to put amendments to agree things between each other before before things went into Parliament, um, and that was that was incredibly positive. And that's the sort of thing you know we should be building on. Um, things shouldn't go back to everybody just for themselves and own, only the Labour Party will do this kind of kind of calls. We we actually should be in the face of a terrible crisis and a truly terrible government and prime minister be teaming up much more to, to make the case for sensible policies. And yet in the new year, as we've alluded to a couple of times, there is going to be another election race in London um, for which uh, your other, another of your hats is as the mayoral candidate. Um, a few of the Candidates are getting slightly more vocal. The, the Conservative Sean Bailey is as well. Louisa Porritt's obviously come on board for the Liberal Democrats, um, so it's getting more attention. How do you feel going into that? Do you enjoy election campaigns? I, I do enjoy election campaigns. It's obvious, obvious I have to, because that's, you know, you see me coming back and coming back. It's the third time I've stood, fourth time I've stood for the mayor, if you count the, the election that was cancelled at the last <laughs> minute. Um, so I'm the, you know, I'm one of the, the few candidates standing still after after that happened mm. um and yeah i think it's i think it's going it's going well but i like um today we had mayor's question time and the conservatives are behaving like the election is literally tomorrow they're at a fever pitch of of using every trick in the book and some of it is quite honestly like untruths to, to oppose Sadiq Khan, when again, I think our job for the next five months remains doing what's best for Londoners. And I'm very, very frustrated that, that the Conservatives are making so many issues where we could be united and being clear to the government about what we need, particularly around transport for London. Instead, they're using it as a political football. And that absolutely frustrates me. When when we've got, we've been elected to do jobs, me and Sean Bailey, the Conservative candidate, we're both elected London Assembly members. The mayor is elected to be the mayor at this time. And we've all got a job to do on behalf of Londoners. And the fact that it, there's so much political wrangling that gets in the way of business within City Hall at the moment is, yeah, it's not, not the best part of my day when I have to watch that. You 
Um, you raised in uh, with the mayor today, I believe, about youth homelessness. What's your concerns? Well, I've been hearing from across London, but particularly from um, New Horizons Youth Centre, which is um, it, it's a, in Camden and it supports young people who are um, facing homelessness, but it isn't a hostel or anything like that. Um, so we've got an issue in London where there's no dedicated spaces for under 25s and lots of under 25s are facing homelessness and being on the streets, which they weren't before. Young people always manage to find someone's sofa or floor, basically, traditionally. So there's a lot of homeless people who are hidden and now they're not being able to stay with people because of coronavirus. So we've got a real upsurge in young homelessness. Um, so I brought this up with the mayor and he responded really well, basically. <laughs> he said, oh, okay, yes, it is a problem. Um, I will look into it and, and you know, we'll, we'll get back to you, which was a, you know, a good positive response. And I raised this with Georgia Gould earlier in the week at, at Camden Council. And, and she too was, was, you know, glad that I had raised this issue um, and interested to, to go away and, and take it away and do something about it. So yeah, we can get things done. You know, there are politicians who are out, who are out there who will listen. And that yeah, just gives me a bit of hope that, that you know, a good day has, was had if you can get something done that actually results in some action in the end. So fingers crossed for that. That's good. I mean, earlier in the um, pandemic, it had its limitations, but actually the mass movement to try and um, put a roof over um, lots of people's heads did have si considerable success. It wasn't perfect, but it did show what could be done it quickly. It saved lives. We have such a low infection rate as a result amongst um, people who've been homeless and a really low death rate as well. And, and other cities have seen appalling um, carnage basically amongst their homeless populations. So we did a really good thing. And that's again, at the beginning of the, the crisis, um, this idea sprang up. Um, I pushed um, the mayor into, you know, again, getting ahead of time, just funding it before the government start, even said they would repay us. Let's just get something done because it will save lives. And and we did. Um, and, and the councils did. And this is the problem now is we're not being reimbursed for the for the cost there. But that was worth spending that money because it did genuinely save lives. And that's a real positive thing. How do, you, how do you actually stop? The, the, the times I've spoken to you, I've been conscious that you've got your ward that you serve, so you're involved in local matters, as you've just been talking about, you're an um, assembly member, and so there's the London matters, and then obviously there's the tripping around the company, uh, the country and, and supporting the party generally, and your life is now lived on Zoom in, um, as we chat, we are chatting on Zoom, I can see your bookshelf in the background. The Obviously, I've got, I've got a bookshelf for my yeah. Zoom. Same here. Um, how, but how do you actually switch off? Um, actually, to be honest, uh, I'll be very honest about this. This is this is very difficult at the moment because you know you're living. This is this is my flat and it's one room. I haven't actually got. I've got a studio flat. I've got it's, it's a big room. It's a flat. It's a flat sized room. But there's no shutting the door on the place where I do all my work when I have to go to bed. And there's no different room to watch TV. You know, there's no. And and that is. I'm I'm finding that difficult actually you know uh, it's not as much fun to have um a chat with people on zoom when it's so much like having a meeting um so you do end up not really you know just carrying on with the work until bedtime it's just yeah i'm finding it hard um but 
how much longer can it go on for? Not too long. Let's hope. Let's hope the vaccine will let us off before it all gets too much. But I know lots of people are having trouble and, and Christmas is going to be hard for a lot of people too. So, yeah, my I think we all need to be nice to each other because I think a lot a lot of people are struggling at the moment and not everyone's in a good mood. And so, yeah, we all have to be a bit more tolerant. Um, and again, it's not what I'm seeing in a lot of politics at the moment. And, I, you know, I think we could do with with calming down a bit with the party politics the elections the next general election is going to be ages away so at a national level we really ought to be doing something a bit more constructive than, than endless wrangling but yeah when people are in a bad mood that's the kind of thing that happens they're getting around I'm, I'm in a very similar situation to you the journey from my kind of from sleeping to work is only a few meters and especially early in the pandemic for, for us on the news side it was incessant and there was no you know no line it was just keep going it can be tough but yeah, uh, yeah. The, the lockdown aside how do you switch off to repeat the question are you a big reader do you watch any netflix do you i don't well, know I mean, play snooker when i'm working see this is it. so when i'm working when i'm not in meetings and working i put on the, i have the television on um, as a sort of distraction. So I have to I have to find very light things to watch because obviously if something too interesting or too dramatic is on the television while I'm filling in my forms and doing my work and, and writing stuff, um, that gets too distracting. So I'm I'm living for for gentle, gentle television right now, basically. I'm going through various series that I probably should have watched ages ago but never did. I'm going to push you. Are you going to name shows? Are you I'm, on not, I'm literally watching Glee today. There we go. <laughs> That's the gold I was looking for. <laughs> I, I, I never watched Glee when it was on. It was I was the wrong age, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's great. There's, there's nice songs every so often. The plot's not complicated. They recap it every single episode in full. <laughs> so that's that's helpful. I can just leave that on and and yeah, do my websites and fill in my spreadsheets and, and send off my <laughs> FOIs and all the bits. All the bits of work I do when I'm not in meetings. And that's exactly what we need. Do you do you cycle at all? Do you get out on the bike? Um, I, I've got my bike. Yeah, my bike is is fully functional at the moment. I'm not getting out as much as I would like because every time I think I've got enough of a gap to go for a walk or a cycle, there's another meeting suddenly appears in the diary. So <laughs> there is a bit of an issue and it's and there's not too much daylight these days as well. Well, that's the other thing, isn't it? I'm feeling it finally now because I do, in the first lockdown, I'd go out at six in the morning and cycle up to the heath and be back at home two hours later for work and then do the same after work. But now you look outside and it's, it's beginning to rain and it's dark already and it's a yeah the evening wonders I was doing in the summer are not a thing now basically it's too dark and yeah dreary let's um look, let's end on a, a more upbeat note though what obviously things are looking up slightly in terms of the vaccines coming around Christmas is going to be difficult but I'm sure there'll be things to enjoy about Christmas what what are you how are you feeling about the next six months when where do you see it going um I think we've got the battle of our lives in terms of a new ways, wave of austerity to fight. Sorry, that's not very upbeat. Um, but I think, you know, <laughs> given given you know the, the orthodoxy there is within politics, that when you spend money, you've got to pay it back as quickly as you possibly can, um, instead of um, recognising that, that when the economy's stuck the thing to do is to invest invest in people invest in new ideas invest in new industries and to my mind this this huge opportunity that is there in in 
green industries right now. I think lots of things are right on the cusp where if we got ahead of it and led the way in this country and invested in them, we would be the leaders in this. We'd be doing exactly the right thing, you know, not only for the planet, but also for the economy. This is a win-win situation. And I'm slightly worried that this, this crisis might lead to um, a debate in the next six months, which is austerity again. And we're sort of seeing that with the councils at the moment. The council's not even being reimbursed the actual money they spent on the crisis, let alone not being supported to, to reinvest in, in their high streets and build up the businesses. Um, so that that worries me an awful lot, that that's, the next six months are going to be a wasted opportunity. So that's why, again, we need to have <laughs> you know, strong campaigns between you know, erstwhile political rivals. If we're all saying the same thing and saying it loud enough and making real proposals, then, then we could achieve something good but I mean hopefully things will start to, to go back to normal and unlike like you asked me at the beginning about the, the complexities of, of health and safety when you're trying to stop a virus from spreading when there's you know where there's lots of different risks and and complicated activities that have never really been assessed against this risk before unlike that administering a vaccine to the population is very very simple you have to get the vaccine into people's arms that's it you know and, and organizing to do that surely this government can't mess that up as well so you know i have some hope that this will at least happen in some sensible orderly efficient way and that that we'll get back to normal as soon as we possibly can once people have immunized you think that's a booze up that can be organized in a brewery I'm not, I, I, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. At least it's, I mean, it's something we do every year with the flu vaccine. It is just scaling up something. It's not completely new. Surely we can't get this wrong too. Come on, come on, Conservatives. Listen, thank you very much for sparing um, your time today and um, best of luck. We'll speak to you again soon. And uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Sean for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and we'll be back again next week.